This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. There is an air of fatigue in the crypto market. Bitcoin is down nearly half from its all-time high of $65,000, which was reached in April. And we're two months into a flatlining market for cryptos. The big events of the last two months which gave rise to this fatigue were the crackdown on crypto miners in China, Elon Musk's on-again, off-again relationship with Bitcoin, and perhaps the need for a breather after an extraordinary 255% run-up in price over the last 12 months. Think about that for a minute. Despite dropping nearly 50% in price since May, Bitcoin is still up 255% over 12 months. Joining us to discuss some of the latest trends in cryptos is Richard D'Souza, founder and CEO of Altcoin Trader. Hi, Richard. It's been a while, but it's good to have you back on again. You've been around the crypto market a lot longer than most. Are we in a bear market for cryptos, or do you think a base is forming from which the next bull market will launch? Kieran, thanks very much for having me on again. I always appreciate being able to share my views with you. Um, you know, whether we're in a bear market or not is something that is highly debated in the crypto community. Um, as you correctly pointed out, even though uh, we have seen a correction, Bitcoin is still trending upwards. So I'm sort of between the two, I want to say that we are experiencing a correction. Um, as far as a bull market, and do I think that uh, Bitcoin is going to go up? Absolutely. Um, I am very confident that we will once again see all-time highs with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. And if that is the case, then this correction is certainly an opportunity to buy. I think that it's inevitable with the institutional adoption that we've seen. Bitcoin is in a place that it's never been before. Um, you know, everything that is happening in this market it is Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies in general are not going away. We can expect to see amazing things in the near to mid future. It's interesting to note that in the quarter to June this year, Ethereum actually ended the quarter up 20%, while Bitcoin was down 40% over the quarter. And this seems to have a lot to do with the growth of decentralized finance. That's where you can earn interest and you can lend and you can borrow and you can do all the things you can do in the traditional finance space and you can do a lot of things that you can't do in the traditional finance space. What are some of the things that have grabbed your attention in the DeFi space in the last few months? Kieran, you know that I'm a very keen DeFi player. Um, I love the space. I think that it really opens up commerce and it allows people to do things that traditionally they wouldn't be able to do because the traditional financial system you know, gives us so many barriers. Um, what I've really seen blossoming in the DeFi space is two things that really come to mind. The first one is that we are seeing institutions starting to stand up and pay attention to what is actually happening in the space. We've seen big players getting involved and using some of the benefits of DeFi. And the, the second thing, of course, is the interoperability that I'm seeing. You know, this has been spoken a lot about in the crypto community, but now we are actually seeing um, second layer solutions and different coins coming into play. Ethereum got to a point where DeFi became so popular that the fees were just crushing everything and it was almost impossible to transact in any meaningful way because the fees were astronomical. But we've seen the likes of the Polygon or the Matic network and is offering a lot of the services that were originally developed on the Ethereum network 
And because of this, those that understand how these second layer solutions work, those that understand interoperability have just simply switched onto these networks and are doing all types of incredible um, financial transactions on these second layer solutions. So I think it is a very, very positive space at this stage. And of course, it is going to take some time for the man in the street to understand the second layer solutions and the interoperability that we are seeing. So, um, yeah, that's some of the things that have caught my attention. Overall, I am extremely positive, positive about this decentralized financial but I think space. it's also interesting to note that Ethereum has actually held up quite well in terms of its price and the launch of Ethereum 2.0, which is really an attempt to scale up and, and address this, these crushing fees that you spoke about, which has really been killing it for the early part of this year. It does seem to be that things are smoothing out a little bit on the Ethereum network as well. I think with a lot of these second layer solutions coming into play, um, we have seen that obviously there has been a little bit less congestion on the Ethereum network. And of course, institutions are looking at Ethereum. They are looking at what is happening on the network. And that is why I think that Ethereum you know, will continue to hold its value going forward. And it is a very, very exciting space to work on. There's so much happening on the Ethereum network, but also the other chains. So, yeah, that's what I think is the excitement that we are seeing in this Internet of Things or this in Internet computer that Ethereum is offering us. All right, let's just talk about trading conditions generally. It's been an incredible year. The first part of the year was quite extraordinary in terms of trading volumes. But I assume that they've dropped off as prices of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other cryptocurrencies have fallen off. The trading volumes have followed suit. Is, is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of factors that have, we have seen um, trading volumes dip dramatically. I think this is a worldwide phenomenon. Um, certainly the South African exchanges have all been hit with um, you know, a lot less trading. And um, yeah, we will see what the future brings. Okay, so there are some cryptos that have held up extraordinarily well over the last couple of months, and Cardano is one of them. XRP is another. Are there any other coins that we should be looking out for? Here in some of the, one of the coins that I am very bullish on at the moment and I'm watching closely is Matic, um, as I mentioned earlier, on the Polygon network. Matic is really filling the gap and, um, you know, doing a lot of the things that you aren't able to currently do on the Ethereum network. It is a second layer solution. Um, so it is a coin that I'm really bullish on. A lot of things happening on the Matic network. Adoption is ramping up. We've seen dramatic price increases. It has also been affected by the current correction. But it is a coin that I am medium to long term bullish on um, an amazing project. And what about the Alcoin Trader uh, Exchange? Anything new there that uh, we should know about? Um, Kieran, there's always, as you know, a lot of things happening with Altcoin Trader. Um, I think at this stage we are uh, focusing on interoperability. We're also fo focusing on Matic, uh, the Polygon chain. So as a result of this, you can see, and we haven't made it very public, but we are simply testing it and launching it. Um, without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of media attention. But you can deposit Ethereum um, on the Ethereum chain, the native chain. You can deposit Ethereum on the Binance chain, and you can deposit Ethereum on the Polygon chain. 
Um, the same with XR, the South African stablecoin. You are able to deposit and withdraw it on all three of those chains. Uh, it's not finance at this stage, but that is going to be coming in the, the, the weeks or months to come. In addition to that, you can also now trade XR on decentralized exchanges um, on the Polygon Matic network. So there's a lot of things going on. I think interoperability and DeFi are certainly the uh, buzzwords, and that is the name of the game at the moment. When the markets are currently depressed and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general are trading sideways, you'll find companies like Altcoin Trader building infrastructure and taking advantage of this downtime to really build a more solid and more interoperable platform. And that's exactly what we are doing right now. What has been the experience like with the sign-up rate this year? You, earlier when we spoke a couple of months ago, the sign-up rate was fantastic. Has that cooled off a little bit? Um, Kieran, it has. We've actually seen a dramatic drop off uh, in July. Uh, it started with the uh, you know second part of June. We've seen a lot less clients actually signing up on Altcoin Trader, and you know we've just seen a general downturn in the crypto industry, certainly on our platform. But I think that this is par for the course. We've seen these volumes that have dipped, um, as I said, not only locally but internationally. And it's par for the course when Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general are trading sideways. We know that a lot of retail investors are very hesitant to buy when the prices are low. They like to buy when the prices are up, when the, uh, there's a lot of media hype, when there's a lot of stories about people making fantastic fortunes in Bitcoin. And we know that people will say, you know, I wish I had known, I wish I had bought when the prices are low. And that is what is happening now. The prices are low. There's a certain amount of sarcasm in my voice as I say that, you know, um, but we will see an uptick as soon as the price uh, goes up. But certainly, as you correctly said, we've seen a dramatic downturn. We've seen a lot less signups over the last uh, six to eight weeks. I mean, I did say at the beginning that you've been in this market a long time now. Uh, for people who haven't listened to the earlier podcasts, I think you got involved in the crypto space in around about 2013. And I seem to recall you telling me you were buying Bitcoin when it was $6 and um, and then you sold out when, when it reached 10 or $12 or something like that, believing that you'd made an extraordinary profit, which of course you did. Um, and then you bought back in again. So like a lot of people who got in the early days, um, you made some mistakes and you got out too early and then you got back in again and so on. But I think one of the interesting things that's come out of research recently was that the recent sell-off seems to have been prompted by newcomers to Bitcoin. In other words, exactly the same thing that happened to you in the early days when you thought you made a great profit, you got out or what seems to be happening now is some people getting out because they fear that they're going to be too far underwater, they're going to make too much of a loss, so they're trying to cut their losses. Have you seen this kind of thing go on before, and then you're not particularly troubled by anything that's going on right now? Kieran, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You make a very, very valid point. Um, you know, just the fundamentals of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a whole are very, very strong. And we haven't seen a drop in price. What we've seen is we've seen a drop from the all-time high. So fundamentally, and if you just look at the numbers, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies are a very good investment. But the new retail investor, and even to a certain extent, the new um, you know, commercial investor or the new institutional investor, has wanted to get out because they've bought at all-time highs. And 
I mentioned you've hit the nail on the head. This is a cycle that we've seen over and over and over again. And it goes back to the old adage, you only make a loss when you sell. These people, what we've seen historically, will regret the decisions that they've made by selling. And they will end up saying, if only I'd held, because once again, and the, the sad thing about this is that we are destined to see the cycle repeating and repeating until cryptocurrency has taken a strong foothold, until the institutions have actually tamed the beast, as it were, and we can see that the, you know, the dramatic volatility starts to taper off and, and calm down. I think one of the things that is also worth mentioning here is some of the uses for cryptos that are now becoming apparent. Just recently in MoneyWeb, we ran a story about how it's now possible to own a fraction of a property, of a prime Cape Town property. You can buy a tiny little piece of that, like you know, $70 worth of a, of a prime property, and you can earn uh, interest on that, and you can get the capital appreciation on that. And you can also do the same with shares, so you can buy a fraction of a share. All of these things were not possible before the blockchain and crypto came along. Um, and NFTs, non-fungible tokens as well, where people are able to monetize ideas and, and digital art and that kind of thing. So we're seeing a whole lot of new use cases coming to the fore with cryptos and blockchain. Are there anything else that, that you see on the horizon which will probably blow our minds in the next few years or months? Kieran, I think that the future of finance is certainly digital. And, you know, as we are attracting more and more uh, people to this space, what we have seen is really just the beginning. We are going to absolutely stand back and go and, and, and marvel at what is going to be coming in the future. I mean, never before have we had the financial power and the ability to exercise all of these things that are currently coming to the forefront. And as I mentioned earlier, this is just the beginning. Shares, property, everything is going digital. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, um, this new alternative financial system we're going to see roll out in the next couple of years is going to consume and cannibalize everything we know. And I think a lot of people don't understand that and don't yet grasp it because generally we still have the perception that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is still too complicated and a lot of people are using that as an excuse to not get involved. But that is very much what we saw, you know, in the early 90s, people saying that the Internet is complicated. It's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of will it happen. It's a matter of when will it happen. And, you know, a lot of the things that we're seeing playing out in the world and uh, currently are hampering or slowing down this process. But it's inevitable. We are going to see every aspect of our financial life go digital. Um, as I said, you know, shares, property, the only limitations are going to be the imagination. And what it's going to do is it's going to cause a dramatic transfer of wealth. Um, and, you know, it's going to allow people that otherwise couldn't get involved to really partake in this digital economy. So I know I haven't been very specific with uh, pointing out certain things because the answer there is everything is going to start taking place in this new alternative financial system. Just following on from that, at, at Alcoin Trader, are there any things that you have in the works which we should be looking out for, any new developments or new introductions and launches? You know, as I said, um, in this downtime, we are working on interoperability. Um, I always say this, and then I always get a barrage of messages and phone calls about when is it happening, but our Easy Loan product is going to be launching in the next couple of weeks, um, so we're excited about that. 
And once again, we're just offering a multitude or a plethora of financial services uh, in this decentralized space. So, you know, a lot of things are happening behind the scenes. We are constantly building and the bear market is a perfect opportunity for us, you know, to be able to focus and to be able to build all these financial solutions. And just explain what the Easy Loan product is. The Easy Loan product is essentially a collateralized loan um, system where if you have collateral and you believe that uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency you are holding is going to have extreme value in the future, you can access funds by putting that up as collateral so that you don't have to sell one asset to you know uh, leverage your funds. You are able to keep the asset, you'll have to pay interest on the, the funds that you've loaned, but you'll be able to loan funds against those assets. So it allows people to retain their assets and to build on their assets. And in the bull market, you don't have to get rid of what is potentially going to be uh, massive wealth in the future while having access to capital. Right. I mean, this is very similar to what you explained to us some time back on a previous podcast where you actually purchased a house using, I think it was Ethereum as your collateral. And... Um, while you were busy doing all the paperwork and that sort of thing in purchasing the house, the Ethereum price just shot up and basically your your house ended up costing you a fraction of what you originally thought it was going to. Maybe just to explain to people how that worked. Okay, well, that's exactly what happened. And of course, we know that decentralized loans are, you know, they are very, very popular. We've had a lot of our clients saying that, you know, they just don't feel comfortable working in the decentralized space. And it's a little bit complicated. So the idea with our easy loans is exactly in the name. We want to make it easy and simple for people to take those loans. And then going back to your question, you know, what really happened with me in a nutshell is I was faced with a choice where I wanted to buy a property, a little 600,000 rand property. I uh, was trying to get a loan from the bank, but the traditional banking loan system just became too cumbersome for me. I then didn't want to sell my cryptocurrency. I took a loan against my Ethereum. And as you correctly pointed out, the price of Ethereum skyrocketed and I was able to sell a fraction of my Ethereum to pay off that full property. And that is the power of loaning against an asset that you believe is going to go up dramatically in the future. And, you know, a lot of people swapping one asset for another. In other words, something happens, your core breaks down. Now you sell your Bitcoin or your cryptocurrencies, which you've been saving for a long period, only to find that it dramatically increases in value over the next couple of months and you want to kick yourself. We're hoping that you can take a loan against those assets and pay it back and your assets continue to grow in value. Of course, there's always the risk that your assets can, you know, depreciate in value, but then at least you have the capital and you have solved the problem, which leaves you in the same situation as if you had sold your Bitcoin just to simply um, use that finance to solve your uh, immediate problem. I hope that makes sense the way I've explained it. It certainly does, but it raises a couple of other questions. The one being, what kind of interest would people typically be paying on these collateralized loans where you're putting up your Bitcoin or your Ethereum as collateral and borrowing against that? And I guess the other question is in terms of, you know, Banks Act and, you know, financial regulation, are there any implications there for people who like like or traded doing this type of activity? So, of course, there is always implications with the regulator. But as you know, Kevin, we work very carefully with the regulators um, and of obviously 
obviously once the cryptocurrency regulation is rolled out properly in the country, um, we'll have a much clearer idea of where we stand on all these issues. But right now we are working in the crypto space. So in other words, we are uh, loaning out cryptocurrency. Um, and, you know, you would have to sell that cryptocurrency to uh, realize the rands. So we are not contravening or stepping on any regulation that we shouldn't be. Um, and yeah, so it's certainly something that is going to be rolled out in a responsible fashion and the regulators have certainly got out, they've got their eyes on us and we are working within those, the laws and the regulations. Right. And what kind of interest would people be paying on a loan like that? You know, that, that is going to change from day to day and it is very dependent on what people are adding to the easy save um, part of the, um, you know, the whole ecosystem. So in other words, it depends on how much cryptocurrency is available to be loaned out. So those typically we're thinking that it's going to start somewhere around about the 5% mark. But as I say, that could fluctuate, um, you know, probably to around about 7% on the high point and 3% on the low point. That is extremely attractive for people who are owning cryptocurrencies. The knowledge that they can borrow at somewhere around 5%, or within a range of between three and seven percent, um, and at the same time, you know, without having to sell their, their Bitcoin and convert it from one asset to another, this is going to be a game changer, I think. Absolutely, this alternative financial system that is currently being rolled out, you know, has a lot of pluses. For example, if you are saving your money in cryptocurrency, you can earn interest on it, and then if you run into a situation where you dramatically need money you know, or quickly need to access funds, you can access that. So it's going to be an all-in-one savings account, loaning account, and it's going to give you a lot of flexibility with none of the traditional requirements. In other words, if you have a loan, you are not obligated to pay it back on a monthly or basis, or, you know, there's no scheduled repayment um, system. You can pay it back when you have funds, or you could pay it back when your assets increase in value, or you could simply never pay it back if you felt that the asset growth was outpacing the interest that you were um, you know, having to pay. Which, of course, has got tax benefits as well. I mean, if you are not uh, realizing you're, you're not selling your crypto, you're not incurring a tax event. If, if I'm reading this correctly, and, and maybe there might be changes in the the law in, in future, but I think this is something that tax authorities worldwide are looking at. You know, when you're borrowing against your crypto, um, you're not really creating a tax event. Do, do I read that correct or, or am I, have I got it wrong? No, to the best of my knowledge, you've got it spot on. Obviously, when you take a loan, um, there is no tax on those funds that come in because by the very nature that you they are not your funds and you have to pay them back. So, you know, we will see what the regulators do uh, with regard to that. But I think it's a no-brainer because you are able to take these loans currently right now in the decentralized space. And I think for the regulators and the economy in South Africa, it would be beneficial if there was um, a central uh, place where you would take these loans. Because right now there is a question as to whether it is in fact legal to send cryptocurrency out of the country. So by altcoin trader rolling this out, you still get the best of both worlds. You are able to lend against your cryptos without sending them out of the country. Um, and yeah, back to your point. Obviously, loan funds is not a taxable event by the very nature that those funds are not owned by you. You are indebted.
Right. And so you just raised the point that about uh, whether it's legal to send crypto out of the country. I mean, technically, of course, that's, um, you know, is the crypto even in the country? It, it exists in the cloud somewhere. Um, what is your view on that? Is, is that a misreading of the law uh, or is it, do we just need more clarity on, on this? I think, Kieran, at this stage, um, you know, the exchanges are all currently um, in negotiations with the regulators. There are a lot of unanswered questions. Um, you know, the regulators coming out and saying that you cannot send cryptocurrency out of the country. But back to your point, is it even in the country? And of course, if you do send cryptocurrency out of the country, we're all allowed to send one million rand out of the country. It is our right. Um, if that money, if that goes out as cryptocurrency, does it fall into the single discretionary allowance? And then if you bring that cryptocurrency back, will that be a credit against your single discretionary allowance? And we don't seem to be able to get clarity from the regulators to the finer points of these issues. So a lot of unanswered questions. I think that everyone is trying to adapt to crypto and, you know, to the new dynamic that it brings to the financial system. But I think the regulators have got a handle on this and we can expect clarity, you know, in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, I hope so. Just a couple of quick questions. Uh, the, the one thing is AfriCrypt, this uh, this hack, the so-called hack that happened at AfriCrypt and, and the billions of rands that appear to have gone missing there. Coming on top of Mirror Trading International, South Africa is getting a, a bit of a bad reputation worldwide, right? What do you think is the solution here? Is regulation, do we need fast regulation to sort of put a little bit of a cap on this and, and, and it's not getting some credibility back to South Africa? Or is this just a bit of an anomaly that, you know, it will wash over in time? Kieran, I think that's a very interesting question. And I don't think that regulation can solve this problem because, you know, as a species, we are evolving to a point where people are for the first time ever able to take custody of their finances and take control with no third party. And as much as you try and regulate it, um, the efficiency of this new financial system is what is very appealing to scammers uh, and, and crooks. And as we know, anything that is appealing, that is efficient and that works well will be used by criminals, by scammers. I mean, if you take, for example, if someone is robbing a bank, they're certainly not running away. They have a getaway car, they have a fast vehicle, they are using an efficient means of transport. And by the same metric, they are going to be using an efficient financial system if they are going to want to conduct the scam. And as we evolve as a species, we need to get to the point where we understand that this greater freedom comes with greater responsibility. So while the regulators can certainly help and they can certainly help in this transition phase, it is really, um, you know, putting a Band-Aid over a wound. It's not going to solve the problem. The, the real solution is going to come when people start to adapt. It's a generation away because the younger generation will understand the um, responsibility of having the freedom of your own finances. So it's, you know, it's growing pains, if I can summarize it that way. Right. And I would also say it's exchange of information because I think when you look at Mirror Trading International, when the, the FSCA, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, first started putting out warnings about that, that was in August of last year. Um, and yet most of the growth, most of the, the, the flow of funds into Mirror Trading happened after that. 
So, you know, there was, there was a little bit of desperation, I think, in, in the air with the, the COVID lockdowns. People had lost some of their income and they were trying to make up for it. Um, and I think the, the, the more flow of information that you get, the better informed you are, the better educated you are about the opportunities there. And, and I think we're going through something very similar to what we saw at the birth of the Internet 20 years ago, where a lot of people lost money in certain ventures and, um, you know, you had the dot-com bust and I think probably that's a little bit of what's happening right now. But uh, here's a final question for you, uh, just to calibrate where we are in terms of the market. Did you see the bull market in Bitcoin resuming before the end of this year? And, and what, what would be your price prediction if you look out sort of uh, one to two years from now? Okay, Kieran, just before I answer that question, just to sort of give a little bit of clarity about why, um, you know, people continue to invest with Mirror Trade International after the FSEA had actually given that warning. And I think we certainly shouldn't ignore the fact that there's not 100% trust in the Financial Conduct Authority. And that stems pretty much from them often bashing cryptocurrency in general and as a whole. You know, so obviously Mirror Trading International right from the outset was, um, you know, a scam and it was never going to work. It was basically a pyramid scheme. But cryptocurrency in general is sound financial money. So when the FSCA paints both Mirror Trading International and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency with a negative tone or negative brush, it certainly leads people to not trust. And that trust is the very reason why people continue to invest because the credibility of the um, you know FSCA was called into question when they said investing in Bitcoin is very much like gambling. So once again, it really comes to education and it really comes to people understanding the finer points of what is actually happening in this financial space. So going back to your your, your final question. As I mentioned earlier, I certainly think cryptocurrency, Bitcoin is going to reach new all-time highs. And I'm of the opinion that we are going to see 100,000 US dollars in the future. As far as timeframes go, it's very difficult to call timeframes. But I would like to ask, does it really matter? I mean, if we know that these coins and these uh, cryptocurrencies are going to reach those new all-time highs, it certainly would be a sound investment. I personally, obviously not financial advice, believe we are going to see this. And the time frame is irrelevant to me because anyone investing in the sound money will enjoy those benefits. And we can't categorically say that cryptocurrencies will not go lower from this point. But what we are hopeful of and what I think is a reasonable risk to take is the fact that we will see 100,000, 200,000 in the future. And based on that, not investing some of your wealth in cryptocurrencies is absolute madness. <laughs> okay, Richard, I, I think that's very similar to uh, Michael Saylor. And for anybody who's new to this and you know, they have a, uh, uh, a fairly good education in what is the sort of economic fundamentals behind Bitcoin, Go and look at Michael Saylor, spelled S-A-Y-L-O-R. He is the CEO of a company called MicroStrategy, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, or I think it's on the NASDAQ, actually. And he just he's invested billions of dollars of company funds into Bitcoin on the basis that uh, the fiat currency, the dollar or the rand, are just depreciating so significantly over time. 
that if you look out 10 years from now, uh, you, you want to have basically sound money. And that's the reason why he's gone for Bitcoin in a big way and he's become quite an evangelist. Um, you, Richard, you seem to have a very similar view to Michael Saylor on this. I've watched a lot of Michael Saylor and a lot of the things he does say make a lot of sense. Um, you know, he, he often says that keeping cash is like holding water in a bucket with a hole. You know for sure that it is going to be worth less next year and the following year. And unless you can top it up to a point where you have a constant inflow, you're destined to make a loss with this current fiat system. But cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, absolutely, there is no way, that if you look at it from a logical point of view, that you're not going to see appreciation of your assets. You know, one of the things that I'm starting to consider, and don't get me wrong, I'm very much a Bitcoin bull, is the fact that uh, Ethereum, Cardano, Matic, and these coins that have such extreme use cases could possibly outstrip the growth of Bitcoin. So that's something that we might just want to keep our eye on going forward. I believe that cryptocurrencies are the future. We need to constantly observe and make sure that we know which ones are going to actually reach that pinnacle. Because you don't want to be caught with all your investments in Bitcoin when other cryptocurrencies that are extremely useful and are very, very viable are making a play um, for that number one position. Fantastic stuff, Richard D'Souza. Let's leave it at that. That was Richard D'Souza, who is the founder and CEO of Altcoin Trader. Thank you, Richard. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.